Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Friday the 8th of October. Tom Tilly with you as well as Jan Fran. And Jan Fran, Tuesday morning was a tough one, wasn't it? No doom scrolling. <laughs> you know what? I woke up Tuesday morning and as I, I've told myself, don't put your phone by your bed, mm. don't scroll immediately after waking up. Mm-hmm. And I, I did that on Tuesday morning and I couldn't. And do you want to know something? Do you want to know the yes. fe- what my reflex feeling was? Dread? Relief. Oh, relief? No! <laughs> relief! Because I couldn't scroll anymore. I was like, oh, my God, there's no social media. This yeah. is the greatest morning. Yeah. yeah that, and then and then the dread kicked in. But it was relief before that. Amazing. So um, if you're wondering what the hell we're talking about, it's the outage of Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp for six hours Tuesday morning. Um, and that's the subject of uh, today's episode. Facebook's week from hell because it came with some other bad news for Facebook. It locked all the um, employees out of their own systems, including You know, people that wanted to try and fix the outage had to sort of break their way into the data center. They had to use angle grinders to cut their way through to the servers because none of their passes were working. Yeah, so right as that messy outage was happening and an angle grinder was being pulled out, Facebook's impact on children was also being poured over in the US Congress. So we're asking, will the week from hell for Facebook burn the social media giant? Um, That's our briefing topic in a moment. First, here are the headlines. Well, we're going to continue with the pressure on social media companies, uh, this time in Australia, because the Prime Minister has hinted that social media giants could be responsible for abusive content posted by users after growing calls for tech regulation from members of his government. People can just go on there, not say who they are, destroy people's lives. They should have to identify who they are. And, you know, the companies, if they're not going to say who they are, Well, they're not a platform anymore. They're a publisher. I just don't know what the Australian government can force the tech giants to do. Right now, it's not very much. They're not an Australian company. They don't come under um, Australian law. And and we've seen Australia actually try and and force them to do things like pay for news content, for example. They they were quite successful in that space. Well, they were. But do you you remember when uh, Facebook just said, right, we're turning off all news for Australia? And suddenly Australian audiences or Australian users just didn't get any news pages. So Facebook has, I think, a lot of power and it can kind of do what it wants. I think it wants to walk a diplomatic line, but it can kind of like thump on its chest a little bit and just show you that if it wants to, it can just walk away. It doesn't really care what you have to say. Mm. Well, Um, they they backed down in that case and Australian media companies ended up with millions of dollars. The New South Wales government's accelerating the state's path out of lockdown, which is sparking backlash from some teachers and doctors. We are concerned at at the scale and number of changes that were made today to a roadmap that we were comfortable with. That was Dr Danielle McMullen there from the Australian Medical Association. She was speaking to the ABC. Now, from Monday, um, and these are some of the changes that have come into effect in the last 24 hours, from Monday... 10 people can visit homes, not five. Um, and you can gather outside in groups of 30, which is up from 20. Yeah, and there's an interesting change at the 80% vaccination mark. No more face masks at work. Perite said that was stopping people from wanting to come back to work. He has also sped up the return to school. So there was going to be this sort of staggered return um, based on year groups. But now all students are going to be back by October the 25th. And, and that's really kind of concerning the New South Wales Teachers Federation. Um, here's Angelo Gavrilatos. What will happen, given that the full complement of teachers will not be available, given 
given that the full complement of teachers will not have been double vaccinated. So vaccinations mandatory for teachers in New South Wales and the government says uh, the majority have gotten the jab and are ready for work. And I think um, a lot of parents will really like that, probably Perrottet himself, given he's got six kids. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, I wonder if he, he sort of upped the gathering because, you know, there was only five people you're allowed to have at your house and he's got six <laughs> children. One of them wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been allowed to visit the grandparents. <laughs> Doesn't quite fit, does it? I think one of the things that's concerning the the teachers, though, in, in this case, is that they probably feel like they were blindsided a little bit because um, teachers were sort of on a meeting with the New South Wales Health Secretary and, and Kerry Chant just hours before these changes were announced, and they just they had no idea that they were coming. Mm. Um, so I think they sort of feel like they've been, you know, haven't they've been kept in the dark mm. about it. And there's a a big fight happening over the Texas abortion laws. Uh, A US federal judge has put a temporary block on Texas's controversial abortion law following a request from the Biden administration. Yeah, so the federal judge in Austin, Texas, um, says that the law that came into effect last month was, uh, quote-unquote, unlawfully preventing women from exercising their rights and that it was unconstitutional. Now, um, this is a law that says that doctors who perform an abortion on women after six weeks of pregnancy can be sued, um, which critics of the law say is a little bit ridiculous because there are women who, well, most women probably don't know that they're pregnant by six weeks, so how could they possibly have an abortion any sooner? The Biden administration has um, requested that this federal judge step in and get involved and pause the law. And this comes after the US Supreme Court um, decided not to stop Texas tanking the action. So this this is why this is such a big legal fight in the US. It sort of starts in one state, but then you've got the Supreme Court taking a different position from a federal court judge. Yeah, I mean, this one has gone all the way to the top. This is the president mm. um, stepping in, trying to put a hold on this law in a particular state because abortion works sort of works that way in the United States. The states are responsible for implementing their own abortion laws, mm. but you'll you normally find that if something happens, you know, in the state of Texas, you'll get protests all around the country. So it's really, it's it's a defining issue for the United States, um, much more so than it is here in Australia. And here's the news I've been waiting to bring you. Uh, pop star Kylie Minogue has confirmed, wait for it, she's moving back to Australia after 30 years in the UK. She's spinning around, she's spinning back. She's spinning all the way back to the Southern Hemisphere. Is that really the news that you were waiting to bring the people, Tom? Are you a Kylie fan? Huge Kylie fan. She's fantastic. So many big tunes. Yeah, all the way back from the, the 80s and 90s to now. Still going. So good. Yeah, I think we. I think you know she's been in in Britain for thirty years. That sometimes we we forget that we've got a, a world class pop star. I was reading somewhere she's sold seventy million mm. records worldwide and is the most successful Australian female recording artist of all time. That's huge. Yeah, and you know what? Melbourne's had a tough time. I think they need this. The <laughs> princess of pop it. coming home. <laughs> they need an outdoor concert by Kylie Minogue. She reckons her fans in Britain were devastated. They're like, Kylie, no, don't leave, stay. <laughs> but she was missing Australia. You know, COVID keeps people apart. Mm. And and I think it makes people reassess how much they like their families. It looks like that's that may have happened to Kylie as well. All right, let's hit our briefing topic. Okay, time for our briefing on Facebook's week from hell. Will it be a massive turning point for the social media giant or 
just another distant memory. Yeah, we all remember Tuesday morning, waking up, reaching for the phone, trying to scroll, and oh my <laughs> God, nothing. I can't even look at Kate Middleton's top 10 outfits on Instagram, <laughs> which is what I do most mornings. And that's because for six whole hours... Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp were down in an unprecedented global outage, forcing everyone to go on Twitter. Dark times. So the outage was blamed on human error. Santos Janardin, Facebook's vice president of engineering, said that during a routine maintenance job, engineers issued a command that accidentally disconnected Facebook data centres from the rest of the world. Yeah, that's a pretty big whoopsie there from Facebook, I reckon. But it wasn't the only headache for the massive tech giant this week. I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children stoke division and weaken our democracy. That was former Facebook product manager Frances Haugen. She fronted a US Senate inquiry on Wednesday morning, our time, where she called on the US government to do more to rein in Facebook. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. Yeah, she's not mincing any words there. And she's also not the first whistleblower to slam Facebook. In 2018, whistleblower Chris Wiley disclosed that millions of Facebook users had their data collected without their consent by British consulting firm Cambridge Analytica for use in political advertising. And that scandal hurt their reputation big time. That story ran for weeks all around the world, but it didn't really affect their bottom line. Their profits have kept on growing since then. This year alone... Its revenue increased by 48% and its profit doubled. So it just keeps on trucking along and growing, Jan. That's the question that we're asking after this week. Is Facebook burning down or will we actually forget the events that unfolded this week? Will they become a distant memory? David Swan is the technology editor at The Australian. David, are we buying Facebook's explanation for this massive outage? Yeah, there are a fair few um, conspiracy theories floating around, particularly, as you said, it has been the week from hell for Facebook. It couldn't have come at a worse time, really, with this Congress testimony happening at the same time and public pressure on the company. But, you know, I do take them at their word that it was a, a faulty configuration and that sort of, you know, a routine update went wrong, really. And the funny thing is, is that apparently it locked all the um, employees out of their own systems, including you know, people that wanted to try and fix the outage had to sort of break their way into the the data center by the sounds of it. And I haven't verified this myself, but apparently they had to use angle grinders to cut their way through to the servers because none of their passes were working. That was sort of the extent of, I guess, how Facebook systems are all tied together, including, yeah, WhatsApp and, and Instagram, etc. So everything's sort of using the same infrastructure and once that goes down, then sort of everything goes down as we saw. But uh, yeah, I do take them at their word in, in this instance at least. David, this outage, it really couldn't have come at a worse time for Facebook. Earlier this week, we heard um, from Frances Haugen. She's, of course, the former Facebook employee um, who fronted US Congress, basically calling for more government intervention into Facebook. She did not hold back. What do you think was the most incriminating part of what she revealed from inside Facebook? I think for me... The key takeaway was that every time Facebook was presented with a choice between growth and doing the right thing, it it chose growth every time. And she was the first employee to come forward with so much information and so publicly and put her name to all this stuff. 
that hasn't really been seen before. We've seen leaks here and there, but this is the first time that someone's fronted Congress in this way from the tech giant and really <laughs> she was incredibly credible. And I guess the most incriminating stuff as well was just children and, and how much Facebook was happy to go after young users, you know, 13-year-olds. It was working on a fa- Instagram for kids platform and just still prioritizing growth and at the neglect of, of young people's mental health. And I think when you talk about kids and young people, it starts opening up a whole different conversation about how we should be thinking about social media and being thoughtful about it. And it just shows Facebook time and time again has always prioritized profits over everything else. So Zuckerberg hits back in a statement saying, well, there are examples where we've prioritized meaningful social interactions when we've changed the newsfeed, for example, and brought in more content from friends and family versus viral videos. What do you make of his argument back towards these revelations? I thought it was pretty shameful, to be honest. I mean, it's a 1,300-word post. Not one of those words was sorry. Didn't take any responsibility, really. It was just blame-shifting. And it was sort of smearing her as well as a whistleblower. I think she's been incredibly brave. And the thing about her, too, is she said, you know, she loves Facebook and she wants to fix it. Whistleblowers often, you know, sometimes get smeared as wanting to destroy a company or take it down for a personal vendetta. She said, I still believe in Facebook's mission. I just want it to improve at what it does. And Zuckerberg turn around and, and smear her, but also sort of deflect from the key issues. I thought it was pretty disgraceful. And how do you compare, I guess, this round of controversy to some of the previous rounds? Obviously, one of the most high profile was in 2018 when the, the whistleblower Chris Wiley spoke out about the Cambridge Analytica data mining scandal. That also led to him testifying in Congress, Zuckerberg then being hauled in. I mean, how much impact did that round of reckoning have on Facebook and how might that compare to this round? Yeah, there was a slight sort of delete Facebook hashtag mm. trending for a little while there, but it didn't cut through, I don't think. And we saw the company kept growing and, you know, at the same rate that it, if not quicker than it was growing before. So it didn't really cut through to the public in a meaningful way. This feels different in terms of people on the street sort of have a basic understanding that a whistleblower has come forward and that the media has reported, you know, over the last couple of weeks, thanks to the Facebook files and the the documents that the whistleblower did leak, that young people are at the heart of this and, and they're the ones that are bearing the brunt of Facebook's decisions. The other thing is it feels like that there's a real political will to actually do something this mm. time. It feels like the Republicans and Democrats in the US are, are united and that there's political will to, to have regulation. And that's the case in Australia too, where it feels like despite what people might assume about our centre-right government, they, they want to be quite interventionist when it comes to big tech and, and rein them in. And that feels new in a way that a couple of years ago, there was just no appetite at all to do anything when it comes to, to the likes of Facebook. David, do you think it's death by a thousand cuts for Facebook? Because while the Cambridge Analytica scandal may not have hurt Facebook's profits, for example, and this one, I don't know, we don't know what the impact of Haugen's testimony might be. But in recent years, you've had a lot more criticism about Facebook re its role in misinformation and fake news. You know, celebrities like Sasha Baron Cohen have come out slamming it. We know that young people are deserting, well, they're deserting Facebook, the platform, not necessarily the company, but they are moving more and more towards TikTok. And we had The Social Dilemma, for example, which was a documentary that came out about the ills of social media, and more people are wisening up to this. So do you think that it's a slightly slower burn, but that the bell is ringing for Facebook, so to speak? Yeah, the momentum feels there in a way that it hasn't before. To really 
address this either from a government level or for users too. We saw it with the outage. It really reflected to people how reliant they are on, even if it's not the Facebook app itself, it's probably Instagram or it's probably WhatsApp that people are using for the group chats. And as I said, Facebook has moved in the last only 12 months or so to make sure all those apps are using the same infrastructure. So it's all one big beast now. Yeah, I can feel that momentum out there to really do something about it. What comes next is just the big question mark. The whistleblower, for example, mentioned that we could raise the age of social media from 13 to 17, which it sounds like a bit of a pipe dream, but might make sense. I think as a minimum, we can hope for more transparency. For example, Facebook hasn't released in full its internal research that the Wall Street Journal reported. So that's still, you know, a secret. We could force the likes of Facebook to hand over that research to an independent third party. I know Australia in the last couple of years suggested we have an independent regulator that reviews the algorithms to um, verify that they're doing the right thing and, and at least just have that sort of check and balance. So there are sort of even common sense things. People talk about breaking up Facebook and that's a huge step obviously and would be like rather than the death by a thousand cuts, just one fell swoop of forcing Instagram WhatsApp to break away, for example. But as a minimum, I think we can hope for more transparency that can be a good thing for, for everybody. I don't know, guys. I think we, we have these moments, we have these feelings that it's all doom and gloom, but the, the user numbers just keep on growing. It's a massive company, nearly 3 billion users. My feeling is it's going to ride this out like all the other controversies and keep growing. The interesting thing about right now is that it's a global moment and it's governments of all persuasions who want to... They want the perception as well that they are acting, even if I would have said of of our government, for example, it's probably not its natural inclination to step in for a US tech giant. Mm. But we saw that with the news media bargaining code, for example, Mm. where someone might think that an Australian regulator has no business trying to rein in a a US-based tech company. But they did. And, um, you know, there are plenty of conspiracy theories floating around then at the time about it being sort of a Murdoch bargaining code and people can have their own views. But we sit right now and Facebook and Google are both paying millions of dollars to media companies in a way that they weren't before. And that was from our government. So if you look at the US, for example, I think Biden is quite emboldened to to do some sort of get some wins on the board. And the people he's appointed into the um, the antitrust positions in his government show that he, he really wants to act on this. So yeah, I'm, I'm staying optimistic for sure. That was David Swan, tech editor for The Australian. I do think that they probably will not suffer death, but suffer quite a serious hemorrhage by a thousand cuts. But I'm more interested in whether or not they will have a competitor because they're, they're such a monopoly that it seems like the only thing that's going to sway people away from Facebook is something better. And that doesn't really exist yet. All right, that's it for your Monday to Friday briefing. Jamila Rizvi, of course, will be popping into your feed tomorrow morning with the weekend briefing. Jamila, who have you got on this week? Hey, guys, I've got a really surprising one for you this week. I sat down with Harley Breen, who is an award-winning comedian and TV host. At the moment, he is one half of the hosting team of Making It on Channel 10. He is a seriously funny guy, but... Our conversation went in all sorts of fascinating directions. We spent a lot of time talking about parenting and family and why comedy is important to him. 
but mostly about his upbringing. He was the son of a Methodist reverend and he had a pretty strict religious childhood and that has shaped the person he became and in turn has unshaped the person he is today. It's a really fascinating one. Really recommend it. Mm, That one's ringing a few bells for me. That sounds interesting. Harley Breen on the weekend briefing. Um, A big shout out to the hardworking team that make the briefing possible. Executive producer Dan Mullins, um, news producers Liam Kennedy and Brooke Loudner, social media producer Emily Lodge and our editor Matt Kuz-Curry. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll speak to you Monday. Listener.